kind of want to ask you, you guys for first though, just kind of start things off. Let's say you're at a, a metal music festival. Doesn't matter which one. You got a backstage pass and you go backstage and you're in like the, the, the VIP room and Fenris from Dark Throne is there. And he's got like a huge joint, just like a big ass blunt. And he passes it to you. What 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 do you do? Uh, I I don't know. I don't I don't smoke, so I would probably be like, "Thanks, even, man." Even with Fenris, but I'm good from Dark Throne. Really, the problem with this scenario is that I would never go backstage to the VIP room to enact this scenario. Oh, okay, that, that that's a that's a good let get out, I guess. That's evasive, Will. That's evasive. It is. That's yeah. That's the yeah. technique. I have to be very. I have to be very clear here. I also don't smoke. I'm a boring ass, uh, straight edge dweeb. I would get splunked right off my donk. Damn. Yeah. Exactly. That's you know, the guy wrote fucking Transylvania Hunger. Come on, let's. He gave us leave no yeah, cross unturned, which we are Varg not wrote like half enough. that, right? <laughs> you what? Varg wrote like half that album, right? Okay, well, and then you know, later we he can... wrote a bunch of really cool punk metal albums that sound like Saxon and are really stupid. And a new one, Old Star, is just so fucking stupid. I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Duke so... of gloat. <laughs> Exactly. It's just, the the misery of the Scots. What the hell is even that about? But it's great. When he starts screaming that the key is in the wall, I'm like, you know it, man. That's right. That's right where I put keys normally. Right inside of a wall. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Henry. Welcome to Death Sentence, everyone. And we are here today with some uh, someone from a band we've played, I think, twice on the show before. And we're going to be doing the third time, finally, with them like, here with us online on Discord with us, being a true gamer on Discord with us. All gaming together. Gaming is one. Yeah. Gaming Rise, rising up as one. As Locking eyes and gaming off into a little pool. Yeah, just gaming each other off. Just all in a big circle gaming each other over a mouse. And um, that, of course, as you could probably tell by now, is Will from the band Redbait, the proletariat crust-punk band from St. Louis. I've already forgotten. That's so, right. From the city. Right. In America. Yeah. The Midwest? I don't know. But, um, yeah. St. Louis is right about the middle of America. 
So yeah. it's barely even mid. I mean, technically it's the Midwest, but it's like the center. It's yeah, gateway to the West. They it's call just it middle. Yeah, and and you got that cool arch, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's we not do have really one of those. That cool. It's pretty cool. Like, yeah, it's not I mean, that cool. As arches go, it's not bad. It's not a bad arch. Gonna be yeah. Gonna be honest there. It is inexplicable though. Yeah, it's so definitely bizarre. It's, prob- it's probably a gateway to something. You don't just make an arch if you're not expecting yeah. something to come through it. Just saying. I, I've 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 looked at a lot of Beksensky art. I've listened to a lot of black metal and death metal. Things a goddamn gateway. Yeah. So St. Louis, cool city. So, Will, tell us a little about Red Bay. What if no one has listened to you before, and they should have. If a, if a, just a, a shitty person hasn't listened to Redbait before, what are they missing out on? What's your sound? Um, so some kind of blend of punk, metal, hardcore, um, just a, a bunch of different people with exceedingly different tastes in uh, in heavy music uh, who got together doing political work first, uh, and finally were like, oh hey, we can you can play drums, you can play guitar, like we should do, we should do a band, we should do some music. Uh, and we started to write some songs and kind of jammed everything together uh, in a way that sort of averaged out into uh, a neat little crusty thing like uh, Tragedy, Appalachian Terror Unit, Iskra kind of influenced, uh, just short, fast, mad, political. Yeah, and, and it fucking rules. And Thanks. If you're going to make a band, those three influences are how you make a good band nowadays. You know, there, there are obviously other good bands, but like, so you guys came together doing political work. Like what, what kind? Like, was it Turning Point USA or you in Identity <laughs> Roper? Or the the standards, yeah. I'm ever open. Um, so St. Louis, you guys might have uh, have heard, has had some high profile uh, racial issues, police violence issues, that kind of thing. Um, so a lot of that has been, a lot of the work has been like, we met each other at protests, at healthcare rallies, um, and just sort of general political events happening in the city. And it kind of coalesced around this organization called the St. Louis workers education society, uh, both an organization and they have an actual building, a space of their own. Um, that's just like a broad sort of leftist coalition. It's very much a labor uh, education organization in terms of the work that they do specifically, uh, but also just kind of a hub for leftist activism in the city. Um, And so we kept running into each other at events kind of in and around this organization um, and sort of became friends. um, And uh, yeah, that's a lot of what it was. And then uh, most recently, although it's been a couple of years at this point, um, the Jason Stockley uh, lack of conviction um, led to a pretty huge round of protests. Uh, and so a lot of us were kind of directly involved in some of those out in the streets, forming uh, some some pretty heavy bonds, I guess, uh, arm in arm, doing some of that kind of work. Cool. So tell us about the uh, Jason Stockley thing, because I, I don't think that doesn't, ringing me bells immediately um well like most of these uh it was a a police shooting i'm gonna have to look up the young man's name uh anthony Anthony lamar smith 
yeah. that's the one uh was shot um by jason stockley um kind of your typical unarmed black person uh, murdered by a police story frankly um happened i believe sometime before michael brown's murder um but the if i recall correctly the video of the event didn't come out until much later um and so there was an actual trial uh in mostly 2017 um and uh, unsurprisingly unfortunately um he was found not guilty of first degree murder um it was a uh, I believe a a judge trial rather than a jury trial. Um, so uh, a singular person was able to just decide that this officer was not guilty. Um, and so as, uh, as they had before, after Michael Brown's murder um, in Ferguson, uh, a lot of people in St. Louis got extremely mad about it um, and took to the streets again. Hmm. Now I'm looking at this Jason Stockley guy. He is exactly who you imagine would shoot an unarmed black man. He yeah. is just you can you can see it on the face. Yeah, like I would convict this guy just based on his photo. You know he's going to do something. It's going to be that, or it's going to be beating his wife because that's what these guys do. Yeah, he's uh, got that just police officer smirk in every picture. Yeah. Like the nothing will ever happen to me. No consequences. Not ever. Um, yeah. yeah, which has basically been correct. He also kind of looks like a, like a beefier um, Mark Zuckerberg in a few of these pictures. <laughs> like if Mark Zuckerberg really like put on some put on some weight, then he could definitely yeah. But um, and and Biff from Back to the Future, and I imagine his personality is just Biff from Back to the Future, but with all the all the racism you couldn't get in that um, classic film. Mm. So uh, yeah, so so fuck that guy. He's bad, absolutely, and he's like still around. It sounds like he's just—he's someone you could walk into walking down the streets in St. Louis. I believe he has left town. Um, I think we were at least able to make it clear that he wasn't particularly welcome. Um, but yeah, he is not in jail as he should be. Cool. So yeah, America, normal, normal country. Mm-hmm. And uh, this shit absolutely makes me feel sick to my stomach hearing about. Like it's it's one of those things where um it's it's hard to impress on people outside of America reading it about you know reading it about another country, but it's hard to have moral convictions in America and see even as someone who isn't a person of color see this wave of completely unchecked, very obvious violence and get not only swept under the rug by the justice system. That alone would be infuriating, but you can commiserate even with right-wing shitheads about how judges can make bad decisions. But then to see also in popular culture this deep erasure of the notion that it's even an issue. Like, it feels like this shouldn't be a divisive issue. This shouldn't be a partisan question. Like, the videos get released. You can see it. It's not... There's no ambiguity here. And yet, uh, this is a term where I think the, the notion of being politically gaslit becomes relevant because it feels like you're going insane when like random people in the street are like nah he was a thug and he had it coming and it's like he got shot in the back hmm. yeah that's there's just a whole half of your country and, and mine because the same um ideas are present the whole world over where just people really want the kind of judge dread cops who can just like 
on a, on an instant determine with a hundred percent accuracy that whether a person deserves to live or die. Yeah, and I mean, just dispense just street justice there and then. Since the Ferguson uprising, the number of people uh, who have come out just plainly in favor of extrajudicial murder. Like it's fine, it's good. That's what they want. Uh, is in uh, just incredible. Hmm. Oh, and any any mention of Ferguson or police violence, you've you've got to mention just in case anyone doesn't know it now. That I think about it. I think it's about six now of um, the organizers behind the Ferguson uprising have been quote unquote mysteriously killed in what are apparently suicides in their cars. Like all these people just suddenly decided to shoot themselves in the chest in their own cars over a period of years. Um, yeah, I don't like to think of myself like, as a conspiracy theory guy, but yeah, those are weird. Yeah, and I really hope if if you can get like Bernie Sanders or someone, even Elizabeth Warren, that you know, someone can just open an investigation into that because there's obviously a bunch of cops who are just, and probably like FBI or whoever, who are just killing political dissidents um yeah just like fucking werewolves in nazi nazi germany or something yeah but um yeah so yeah your country's kind of fucked dude sorry but yeah um, absolutely yeah it uh it makes you waver sometimes between a kind of nihilistic manic uh laughter and then just like a very deep and sour depression hmm. you all you also yeah. can see it online sometimes where people um leftists in America can sometimes lash out inappropriately deeply towards things that ultimately even may be objects of offense, but not to the same degree that the response seems to be, um, seems to indicate. Uh, and a lot of that comes from the sense of profound powerlessness, even, even with uh, mass organization in the face of a lot of these issues that suddenly you get a clear cut thing that you can channel this anxiety and tension onto. And uh, knowing that and being legible and that also can help de-escalate a lot of these like explicable tiffs that blow up online when you're like, everyone's deeply rattled about these much larger issues to the point where someone can be kind of a grifty dick and people can lose their minds. Um, mm. It's like we can finally do something about this. This is within our power. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you just look... having something that you're able to act on. I think that's very, very true. Like a lot of emotion gets packed into that. That's not necessarily related to it. Yeah, like all these guys are going to go free probably forever, but we can cancel some bad people sometimes. Right, kind like of ruin their careers sometimes, and often in other cases, never ruin their careers and they just keep being okay forever, like, I don't know, Mel Gibson or Max Landis or a million different people. But very occasionally, the we get to have some sort of collective justice in very small ways. And I think that's, yeah, it's like you said, it's what people miss about uh, call-out culture or cancel culture. It's that it's happening in the context of a population that's been traumatized literally from birth by this utterly insane toxic culture and like the the next generation which frankly you guys missed out on this whole like uh, school shooter drills every year oh. of your life like that's gonna like the 
young American kids have been talking about that, just describe it as like being at war. And like they have this like band of brothers camaraderie with other Zoomers. And it's like PTSD symptoms from having to do these drills every every few weeks. And uh yeah. There've been so. there've been a lot of interesting studies about how um that mirrors uh so police training in America basically it's like a PTSD factory where you get shown a lot of footage and do a lot of drills that basically convey this notion that anyone at any time can murder you and wants to murder you because you're a police officer. And so you have to approach nearly every situation at near maximum aggression or you will get killed. And it's absolutely bizarre that there's only very recently been studies into how can that affect the behavior of people that we put onto the streets as police officers when we convey, like, literally anyone could murder you at any time, which is, of course, technically true. And we all know that and we all carry that within ourselves. But normally you intersect it with other information so that you're not at, you know, nine, DEFCON 9 all the time. We even have, uh, in a lot of leftist spaces, uh, some, like psychological de-escalation drills for people of oppressed groups. So that way you don't carry that like numbing anxiety that can just drive you into your home forever. Precisely because of that notion that even when it's true, it can paralyze you and make you um, a disruptively toxic person if you carry this notion of instantaneous death all the time. And yet for people that we hand guns and give legal power, we're like, yeah, we should, that's what we should tell them. That's the signal we should give that you need to be on guard and willing to kill at a moment's notice because otherwise you will be killed. Hmm. That culture is also super scary to me in terms of the way it has to affect who seeks those jobs in the first place. Yes. Like, it's not like we're just putting random people into those positions and instilling that in them. People go into it knowing that that is the culture. And wanting to be in that culture and being attracted yes. to it. And yeah. So, yeah, um, the odds don't shake out for uh, good, there being many good cops, if, if any at all. Like statistically, are there some? Probably, but you know, you ask yourself how many are there compared to the whole, and you add all these factors up, and it doesn't give an optimistic picture. Yeah, I think you have to believe that some non-zero number of people go into that job with good intentions, thinking that they're going to help, that they're going to fix the system or whatever. But it's just such a corrosive institution that it's it is hard it seems like it must be hard to maintain any kind of decency in the long term. Yeah, I've always wondered that. Like, I've always thought of... I've always had this story in the back of my head, like, maybe I'll write someday, of, like, what if a good person, a leftist person, decided to become a cop to reform it from within? What could they actually do, and how long would it be before they got completely broken by that system? Uh, probably, like, five minutes. But... Um, Without Without naming uh, who it is, I have I have a couple friends who became police officers over the course of my friendship uh, with them. And one of those things where realistically the emotional bonds with them were such that them being a police officer maybe should cause a fracture in the friendship, but hasn't as of now. Um, for one of them, it actually did strain it pretty bad. But for the other, 
it's the precise story you're talking about where they went in with this very clear notion of I'm a leftist. I believe that police violence against people of color exists. I believe that oppression against queer people and women and people of color and native people in America exists and hasn't been properly reconciled in any real way. And hearing it, it's very surreal to see their responses to certain social, uh, certain social issues while still knowing that at the end of the day, they've managed to compartmentalize like being a beat cop and the way that some of these very, what feel like to us very minor laws that you can press onto someone for, for breaking, um, like making yourself unaware of how that can like deeply ruin their lives. And it's just, it's, it's very strange and depressing to see. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Moving on from there. So <laughs> I know there's like no uh, transition I could do that would give that proper weight. What was that? Like I couldn't go well. So uh, yeah. So, like in sports. So, um, so at this point, it's worth noting that uh, uh so as a as a cheery aside to that, Will and I have actually known each other and been friends for quite a while uh prior to this. Um I ah, collusion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so the notion of just you hit someone with a deeply depressing but ultimately true thing and then just pivot to a uh, a wacky joke about like train semen, that that's just normal. How else do you cope with it? Yeah. Some people like to act like, oh, oh that's super gross kind of humor online what else do you do in the face of all of this like <laughs> yeah, yeah like you the, can't the just surrealist of the world entirely. war one you know it's like we we all get traumatized every day of our lives we we we're like the surrealists and dadaists yeah and like it, it, it's deeply it's deeply immoral to not face this stuff and we all share that compunction i guarantee that anyone listening to this also shares that compunction it can be deeply painful but you feel obligated by into being alive, being a person, those sort of burdens that no one asked for, but that we all have. And this, like, uh, to, you know, the, the brief sort of nihilist existentialist thing, no one re requested to be born, no one requested to be born into conditions like this, into a body that decays and yada, yada, yada. But we are here and we can help each other. But then for the love of God, you have to do something to not blow your brains out. <laughs> And that's why it's right that this podcast, which deals with uh, police violence, sexual violence, state repression, uh, colonialism, was why we sometimes talk about uh, fucking trucks in order to make new trucks, because they'll be good at sports. So, you know, don't or, cancel us. Or toilets that spontaneously generate cocaine that's candy. The toilet episode was so good. The, the episodes. It's basically a series at this point. Ongoing. But... Um, Mr. Cocaine Nasty. Toilet has become a, uh, a a real treasure in our hearts. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> it's on my bookshelf uh, in front of, of course, some Japanese manga. Wow, untranslated? Uh, no, it's 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 translated because uh, my partner can read Japanese just fine. She's she's Japanese, but I I can't read it. Uh, you're mm. false then. Yeah, it's true. I'm okay. false. But um. Yeah, so Red Bait, though. You guys have a new oh, yeah. album out. Yeah, you forgot you're in a band. <laughs> um, 
You're like, oh fuck yeah, that yeah, I am in a band. Fuck. Yeah. And in, in <laughs> the context, I'm promoting my band. Um <laughs> so your new album is called Cages. I wonder what that's about, since there's a small <laughs> child in uh, behind some uh, mesh uh, fence on the front cover. What uh, what uh, recent things in American um, politics have inspired that album? I wonder. Yeah, so longtime listeners probably are aware that we don't do a lot of uh, metaphor. Um, so it's very specifically about the title track of the album. Uh, is very specifically about this administration. It's about the child separation at the border that continues to happen. It's about the literal, actual ass concentration camps um, that we as a country are running. Um, it, yeah, it's just, as with the police violence stuff, it's hard to to look at that and contain it and, I don't know, face it or address it in some way. Um, but you, you have to do that. You have to try, you have to talk about it. Um, and so that's, uh, that song in particular is just our kind of conf confrontation of those issues. So let's, let's go through the tracks. Cause there's, there's five on the album. Is, mm -hmm. is it, would you call it an album or EP? Probably I'd EP, say EP. Right? It's what okay. is it like 10 minutes total? Yeah. So we call it an EP. So let's go through the tracks in in order and like just give a, a brief outline of them so capital gains what's uh, that one about capital gains is really just about solidarity with and within the labor movement um it's a little bit about kind of intersectionality within labor issues um sexual violence is a labor issue racial divides are a labor issue um and just kind of the idea that we have to that we are able to and that we have to support each other uh, in and through all of those those issues and struggles as they intersect, um, and that we can we can support each other. You know, we have to show solidarity, um, and that's just kind of our little, I guess, statement of purpose on the album. Like that's what we're about as a band. That's what we're here to do and talk about. Cool. Okay. And uh, so next we've got our town. I guess that's about St. Louis? Uh, broadly, yeah. Um, a lot of that is about just kind of experiences in um, the protest. Uh, I feel like scene is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Um, and uh, experiences in doing music, both in St. Louis and online. Um, and in particular, the things that we hear um, kind of dismissing a lot of the issues that we care about and that we talk about. Um, so there are bits in there about listening to racist bands. There are bits in there about, um, just the wild things that people say, uh, to condemn protesters and absolve themselves of driving their cars through, uh, crowds of protesters on the streets. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that was just, <laughs> when that happened, I was just surreal. You couldn't like satirize that, like. Was it like months after Charlottesville, some Republican pass, tried to pass that law? You couldn't, like, if you tried to make that up, people would laugh at you and say you're being completely insane. That would never happen. But yeah, we've, that's always we've, it did. We've uh, dealt with that a lot on this show, um, precisely with the, the paucity of, like, 
quality satirical literature about this kind of um about this kind of condition because there's no way that you can adequately do it justice without sounding like you're insane like the only way to properly address it becomes something like directly addressing it confrontationally in the vein of like uh like the 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 crusty like uh uh punk metal do you guys do that makes sense because that you can put direct anger behind that yeah and three chords in the truth screaming that is adequate response to what yeah. we face right now there's there's no way to write beautiful compelling prose about that like what the fuck sensation when you you'd think of all things something like um uh the murder of a protester in Charlottesville by someone driving their car into a crowd would that everyone would agree that like you don't even have to like the person's politics to think that they shouldn't be murdered by being run over at a protest but then it mystifyingly gets propped up as uh, a thing that should be defended legally yeah it's it's wild and it's infuriating to see kind of the overlap the venn diagram of people who preach and who advocate for civility in uh, in public and political debate um as it overlaps with people who think that it's fine to run over a protester if they're if they're in the street in your way hmm. so that brings us on to cages i'm thinking probably know what that one's about already um and you've kind of covered like the ideas behind that one. So let's go for bread for the knife. I'm guessing this is going to be your kind of vegetarian, vegan kind of one. Yeah, this is definitely the animal rights song. Um, and the thrust of it is just that animals are alive, uh, even if we don't understand uh, the way and the degree that they think and have personalities and exist in their own minds. Um, it's It seems clear that they do in some way and to some degree. Um, and so there are for, for most people, like I try to keep my vegan activism pretty targeted, um, to people who look like me in an effort to keep it from sliding into racism, which is unfortunately extremely common. Oh, yeah. Um, but for someone like me who is more or less healthy, financially comfortable, um, doesn't live in a food desert and so on. There just are other options. Um, in, in that life situation, you don't have to make that choice. You can just decide to eat something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And last one forever ends now. It's kind of ambiguous. What's, uh, what's that one about? That is, I can only kind of speak to this one on the surface level. That's all of our lyrics are written by, uh, Rebecca and Madeline or, singers um and that's a particularly personal song um but just about losing uh friends and loved ones to addiction um and kind of dealing with with what that is like having to do that over and over in your life um and processing that being angry about that um and just living with those situations hmm. cool yeah so i think it's fair to say you're dealing with some heavy heavy stuff on here uh what what do you guys do for fun like how how do you un, how do you unwind after after screaming about this for 10 minutes to be honest it 
feels speaking for myself it feels like the screaming and just the intense energy and loud noise of running through those songs is the unwinding like it just it helps a little bit to get that out of your system for for a moment um and then you can go on to something else um i don't know i think we all have a lot of different tastes we're a bunch of readers a bunch of nerds in the band um listening to music of course uh tweeting posting uh, is my particular outlet Will's a very good poster, by the way. Thank very you. Good. I, I'm, I'm, I, high, I high praise from Langdon. <laughs> I say, one of the first things I should have said on here is he followed me about for about a year before I followed you back, and that was a terrible. I noticed that. Me. That that was I was wrong. I, I was no, extremely Will, aware of that the entire time. I, I did I was, the same thing to Will years ago, and I felt awful about it when I was like, I, <laughs> I legit, I would see him like favoriting and interacting enough. That I was like, of course I'm following this guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's no, oh, it's I, that guy again. And then, yeah, then I finally did. I was like, oh, wait, no, shit. This guy's, this guy's post game is on point. Yeah, so, I, I know. Yeah, I, it was I, really I, just in the last like couple of months, Langdon, when you changed accounts, when you finally got banned on the main. <laughs> finally got banned again, justice, by the way, so... second time. Second justice, time exactly. Oh, man. I keep threatening people that are bad uh, with violence, and Twitter doesn't let me do that. Yeah. They can threaten you, you can't threaten them back. That's uh, balance. Well, to be fair, the first time it was that I said I was going to cut the head off of Donald Trump. Well, that seems who, pretty reasonable. Who hasn't been there? So, like, I think it's fair that I would do that, but I also understand why saying that I will kill the sitting president of the United States with my enchanted sword designed to kill the president of the United States is probably a cannibal <laughs> offense. And sorcerer so, for that specific reason. Yeah, I went to a sorcerer and I was like, I need a very specific enchantment. <laughs> he was like, you don't like any sword can do this, right? You don't like presidents don't have a special president magic. <laughs> I can't be too safe. What if they have presidential magic? Yeah, someday somebody is going to have to just establish a platform where people are able to talk about their enchanted swords and their purposes and their histories. Uh, well, that's that's what Jordan Peterson's right. done with his um, new vanity <laughs> um, social network project. So it's Gab version 2.0. Yeah, ThinkSpot is going to be good. We can all go on there. We can get into real sword discourse. You know, we don't have to censor ourselves like we do on other platforms like LinkedIn where I get fired from every job I've ever had because I keep posting out <laughs> swords on there. Just swords and lobsters all day on Jordan's platform. Someone yeah. told me my amount of posting may have contributed to my difficulties finding a new full-time job, to which I replied, I will never stop posting. <laughs> I would rather be dead. Yeah. There's, a, there's, of course, a darker story behind that that, we, that I can tell. It's short, but uh, it's, it's very dark, but uh, I will never stop posting. <laughs> I, I'd like to hear the dark story. This episode has already been a bummer so far, so why not? Well, this one won't surprise anyone who uh, who's who's known me for a bit because I also try to be transparent about this kind of stuff. But I'm a, I'm a suicide survivor, and uh, you make a an amount of oaths to yourself when you live through suicide, as you know, uh, traumatic events, yada yada, that whole kind of thing, and uh, uh, never truncating myself or living a life that I don't want to live, regardless of material sacrifices that would come with that, was one of them. 
Like I just, especially as you watch your friends get older and gradually become like, no hate. I totally understand it. Um, you gain the ability to live in a better place, have, have a savings account, build towards a future, uh, all those kinds of things, wonderful things to have, uh, having healthcare in America is no mean feat. Um, it takes, takes quite a bit of doing. Um, so I totally understand that. Uh, but you also watch as something gets sapped. It doesn't necessarily have to, but you see bit by bit that the kind of fire that someone had when they were younger does gradually die out. Mm-hmm. And obviously, mature concerns don't have to make that die out, but but you still do see it. Um, and it was like I uh, uh, I literally tried to shoot myself in the head with a gun, so I don't want to. I don't want to uh, do that. That's a pretty solid basis for a posting philosophy. I think that's admirable. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, that's that's the like posting a... is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, there's a <laughs> scaffolding here. It mm. makes sense. Yeah, that it's a, a good origin story for you as a poster. Um, so let's let's play some music because I think I, I think I speak for us all when I say we need to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. The only way to proceed from that. Yeah. Uh, so, Will, you had uh, a suggestion for the first song we're going to play. We're going to play a red bait song at the end of the show to just keep people keep people hanging on. <laughs> but you wanted to play something else as well. Yeah, uh, which track did you pick? Oh, I, I was, By I was the supposed way, first, to pick a track. I first, thought you picked last. a track. Uh, I didn't click that. I, I, I literally thought you were going to do all this. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Okay. Uh, then so, uh, let's plan on the first one from that little EP. So this is from uh, an act called Adzes. The song is called Precariat. Um, this guy kind of like all of us showed up on Twitter a while back like, hey, listen to my stuff. Um, so I opened the Bandcamp tab and left it open on my computer for uh, a week and a half um, and finally checked it out. And it's just this super heavy, super blunt um, look at living under capital, um, the violence that it does to people kind of in their day to day and working life. Um, a, a lot of confrontation about living under climate change as it's going to affect uh, the people who will be hurt worst by it. Um, But just a nice, heavy, like kind of alternating, sludgy, atmospheric, um, very riffy, great sounding EP. This came out in probably February and it's still one of my favorite releases of the year so far. Cool. Well, I haven't ever heard it before. Um, So this, this will be the first time I hear it too. So yeah, ad, uh, precariat by Adsis. Here it is.
that was Precariat by Adzers. Um, I literally haven't heard it yet because we like dub in the music after we record. So I really hope it's good. I'm sure it is. Oh, it is. And and also, it's uh, the, the person who runs it is an absolute sweetheart. Like, uh, Will was gesturing to that, but yeah, yeah they very showed cool. up. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll check them out. And Ad says, you know, Will, I'll follow you. I, I won't make the same mistake I did with Will. I'll, I'll follow you first time off. I'm going to uh, check. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, okay. What, what What's that? I'll do it right <laughs> now. Because I, I will forget. Ad says, band. Yeah, it is. Adzer's band. Oh, yeah, got him. Okay, we're going in. Okay. Entering Matrix, jacking in. Yeah, I've, I've plugged in. Okay, okay, we've got a lot of high-quality followers, I know. So, um, okay, followed. Done. Uh, also, um, another thing I should be doing is shouting out our patrons, because several of them have been nice enough to be full $10 patrons. The newest of which is longtime patron, uh, goes by the name Surgery Head, has upgraded fully to become a true chosen war brother and is now a $10 patron. And they do a musical project called, I'm going to mispronounce this, uh, Bayona Newt. I can't pronounce stuff. But so this is kind of like a, it's electronic project and it's kind of like cyberpunky techno it's like it's like the music you'd get in the background of like a club scene in johnny mnemonic or um strange days or any of the other greatest films of all time which are all like late 90s early 2000s cyberpunk films that's when humanity peaked artistically and this sounds like it could be in that so this is good uh surgery mr head also or Mrs. Head, don't know, uh, also does a kind of long-form Twitter project called uh, Decrepit Ritual. It looks metal as fuck. It's got a really cool backdrop. And it's kind of like a kind of like a prose poem horror narrative told in tweets. So each little little bit looks like a looks like a poem. It has f- photography in there as well. And yeah, it, oh, this looks sick. Yeah, it's pretty sick. And yeah, there's there's a lot of it too. So there's good lot to, to chew on here. That's so, tight. Yeah, so do check this out. Like like more more cool stuff should happen on Twitter, and this is some of that stuff. So we have uh, cool ass followers and yeah, patrons. Exactly. How close are you to having to read some terrible book based on your? Followers? Oh, we do that already. We do that on our own gumption. <laughs> a, yeah. a specific <laughs> terrible book. Uh, the, the specific terrible book being uh, Supermarket by Bobby Hall, aka also known as Logic. Uh, <laughs> we're only twenty five dollars from that. Oh so I gosh. very nearly bought Logic, uh, bought Supermarket the other day because I was mystified to see it in a fucking store. Wow, was I have a... friends who are brilliant writers and are even signed contracts to to decent publishers that have distribution. Can't land a book in stores and without getting too much into the world of, of books. Um, online did a lot to move the needle in terms of smaller writers, but there's still definitely a ceiling uh, unless you can land yourself in a shop like Barnes & Nobles. Like, even having one or two books in stock in a Barnes & Nobles can, like, wildly up your units moved. Um, hmm. 
definitely. And yeah, fucking Logic. Although, to be fair, Logic's debut novel, Logic, the corny ass rapper dude writing a novel, his book was shelved like on a random table in the back. Yeah, like I, this got no publicity. The only I found out this through this through Stereo Gum laughing at it. It's it's a it's been super obscure. So obviously, this, he's hiding something in there, and I'm going to find out what that is. I exactly. keep trying to push Gareth to let us read "Too Gay to Go to" or "Too Fat to Go to the Moon." Gay Sasquatch saved my life. Okay, I'm. I'll. I'll get into this offline because. <laughs> There, there's, there's some discourse here, but I'm uh, intrigued. That okay? So now I'm earmarking this as something to potentially not read. Discourse, but um, yeah. So, but speaking of books, though, you, you mentioned before, well, that you guys in Red Bait are readers. Mm-hmm. So one, very sorry about that. <laughs> That's. Uh, it, yeah, once you get into it, it's a one-way street to just, yeah, really just the worst stuff ever. So, mm. including like, having to read Supermarket by Bobby Hall, a.k.a. also knows uh, Logic. But, so, tell us about a few of the books that you guys, like, collectively or, or yourself individually kind of draw from when you're, like, doing red bait stuff. All right. Um, well, the obvious kind of intersection for most of us is Marx, um, capital in particular. Um, that was sort of what I forced myself through. Like, it's one of the most interesting and also a total slog of a book at the same time. Hmm. Um, but I was working a very terrible retail management job and radicalizing uh, day by day, not coincidentally at the same time that the Ferguson uprising was happening and started grinding my way through this book. Um, and just every every paragraph was not so much a revelation as just like a crystallization of, okay, yeah, that's that is already what I think. This is the language um, for what I think is happening to me. Um, and so that's a pretty foundational text. Um, we, we have, I think a lot of variety in our specific tastes, so it's hard to speak to, uh, to what goes into it for the band as a whole. Um, but I think that's definitely an ingredient, uh, either directly or kind of by osmosis for, for everybody. So let's, let's do some, let's do some discourse here. All right. Let, let, let's uh, discourse on this. So, would you say that in order to call yourself a leftist or say you're of the left, that you need to have read Marx? Uh, let, let's just say you need to have read Capital, because Communist it, Manifesto is pretty short and easy. Right. If it's if it's just a yes or no question, no. Um, it, it's an enormous, dense book. Um. And I think there are, kind of like I just described, there are a lot of ideas in it that uh, a budding leftist in particular, I think, can intuitively understand and can grasp, especially based on kind of subsidiary works. Um, 
without having to grind through the text itself. Um, I love it. I recommend it to anybody that's that's interested. Um, but I don't think that it's I don't think it's required reading. I don't think that you have to read a book or pass a test to get involved. I don't think that you have to do that to help somebody. Um, for me personally, that's part of the way that I kind of engage with and figure out my own leftism. Um, and not just that text, I think reactions to it and kind of more modern analyses of it uh, in particular. Um, but that's not everybody's way. You know, you can watch some YouTube videos. Um, David Harvey's class on Capital is excellent, by the way, if anybody's interested. David Harvey, um, very smart guy. His book's huge, brilliant. He's huge brilliant. fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there are ways to engage with the ideas in that text in particular in Capital uh, without reading it yourself. Uh, tell us about another book that like made you. Um, so what else? Another one that was pretty important to me, uh, especially in terms of kind of what I was seeing and processing uh, as far as the police protests um, here in St. Louis was France Fanon's uh, Wretched of the Earth. Mm -hmm. Um which I imagine you guys have probably read. Uh, I, in I a... haven't actually. No, you think? Oh, I've I've heard of it. We we talked a lot about it in an African American studies module I did at, at in university, but I haven't actually sat down and read that. It's um, really worthwhile, I would say. Um, it's broadly about um, kind of living as a, a revolutionary as part of a revolutionary movement especially in occupied territory um about how the uh the revolutionary movement relates to uh the the local the leaders of their own people who often serve the occupiers and then to the occupiers themselves um and a lot of it is also about kind of the psychological toll um, that participating in revolution takes uh, on on both sides, but especially for uh, the revolutionaries themselves. And so a lot of the book is devoted to um, just case studies uh, of people who have been injured or who are undergoing psychological trouble and trauma um because of their involvement in i, I believe he was in algeria um mm. yeah. but it was it was very interesting to read through that and see how it relates to like i, I have friends who have ptsd because they've been assaulted by police officers because they've been pepper sprayed for being out in the street um yeah, no no one really can like uh, prepares you for how much pepper spray hurts. Like, oh, it, it sucks. It's shit. so much worse than you imagine from TV. Even yeah, like when you see like uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter, him bear macing people <laughs> and they're screaming. It's so much That's... worse than you imagine. Yeah, I I have not taken the full brunt of a shot of pepper spray myself. Um, yeah, me neither. I'm talking about like being a, like around it is yeah. Bad. 
just in the environment is horrible. Um, but I've definitely seen friends take that direct hit. Um, and it is, it, it, it's bad. Like it's horrible to see. Um, and it's, you know, it's no wonder that people have PTSD from, from these struggles, from these actions. Um, like Langdon was talking about earlier, we, like, we just look at this stuff, we face it and deal with it all the time. It seems like, um, even just in terms of existing online or watching the news or reading a book like that, uh, and for the people who are actually like out in the street doing protests, blocking roads, trying to affect change in that particular way and butting heads sometimes very literally against the police, uh, and the state in that way. Um, it's, it is damaging to people. It kind of reminds me what you just said about this this passage from uh, Mark Fisher's um, K-Punk book, where he's talking about uh, the the second Hunger Games film. He really loves the Hunger Games films. He thinks they're like the, the greatest uh, revolutionary texts of the 21st century. <laughs> and there's this bit in the second even, one. Which this. is a note that even brilliant people can be humbled by being very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, in in this case, I think he he's right about this line at least. Where there's a bit in the second film where these two characters are trying to find out how to like destroy a rev- the revolution that's like been brewing, and they the one of the characters is like a media guy is like, "We'll just like completely traumatize the population. It'll just be like murders, executions, then wedding dresses, mass killings in the streets of all these protesters, then." What she, what's her Katniss's cake going to be like at her wedding day? And just that um, Fisher kind of identifies that kind of thing happening in a kind of non-conspiratorial way just through our culture. It's like um, constant barrage of horrific imagery, constant deadening stuff, and and things happening to you as well, but also insane frivolity curvy wife guys and <laughs> stuff it's like I, I remember in a um psychiatric uh facility that i happened to pass through at one point there was a uh journalist who had been to like afghanistan and had been like blown up in a convoy and seemed like people like reduced to nothing by ieds then literally a week later she's talking to the spice girl and that like constant back and forth between horror and just nonsense in our mm-hmm. culture is what Fisher identifies as like the kind of paradigmatic thing of the 21st century. It's not like being in 1945 where it's just like constant horror. It, it's the horror is always cut with just stupid shit, usually online. And that makes it somehow so much worse. It's like a kind of counterpoint to what Langdon was talking about earlier. How like we need to the stupid shit sometimes to make things okay. But on the other hand, it kind of makes everything just that little bit more awful. So like yeah, at, half... at its at its worst, it can be fairly dissociative that it feels like the either 
the violence or the nonsense isn't real. And then quickly everything gets ungrounded because that sense of irreality starts creeping into every corner. Yeah, like, can you imagine if, like, 9-11 or something on that magnitude happened now? And, like, memes and discourse and bad takes around it. Like, it, it was a terrifying thing when it was just people watching on CNN. But, like, now in, in like, when Twitter... Well, if Twitter thing, had been around... Yeah, it would yeah, have been... Truly horrific. Yeah. It would have made the whole 21st century so much worse than it has been so far. Even then, honestly, that that kind of thing started to creep in. I remember very specifically watching just, you know, every station was playing the looping footage of, of the plane crash when it happened. Um, and so I had been seeing that over and over all day. Um, and then some television network was playing the footage again and they set it to Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah. <laughs> Which is if, if I had to pick the most inappropriate song to soundtrack that visual. <laughs> it, um, it would be X gonna give it to you. When it says <laughs> give it to you, the plane hits. And you, or, and you uh, like, like all these... Those would both be on the list. Yeah. Yeah. This this will mean a lot to our to our British listeners, but if uh, if the Benny Hill music was used, <laughs> just two planes running in and out of buildings, <laughs> and you're like, this seems uh, not anywhere close to appropriate. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure there were there were many. Uh, musical <laughs> songs that would be inappropriate when cut over uh, images of 9-11. Uh, <laughs> there's a thing I'd never thought I'd have to say again. Um, yeah, I said that once in my uh, time at the BBC. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, Fired for my uh, totally true hot take. Uh, mm -hmm. There are many musical cues that do not work well paired with 9-11 footage. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, this is deemed a fireable offense. You're like, oi, get out. Sling your hook. Um, so, did they okay, say so, oi at the BBC? Did they, they oi there? Um, th th there's a definite movement towards like a performative working classness now. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's, that's, it's so that's really the bad. British y'all, is oi. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's like when like white women in their forties say y'all, and um, yeah, definitely. There's there's a really good book on it called uh, Authentocrats about how like the oh there was this um, British politician uh, tangent now called Owen Smith. He's a con he's total like straight down the line Tory, but he, yeah, I've I've heard his name. Yeah, so I think he was in a running for PM at one point, but he went to a like a cafe on like a photo shoot. And is an Italian cafe that had been there for like 300 years because there's always been immigrants in the UK literally for 2,000 years. And someone gave him a cappuccino and he pretended not to know what a cappuccino is <laughs> I in, order to, in order to seem more relatable to ordinary people. He said, oh, I've never had a frothy coffee before. <laughs> I love the notion that someone would, uh, in the year of our Lord, uh, Obviously, this didn't happen in 2019. This is quite a bit ago, but would still 
somehow not know what uh, goods they sell at the Starbucks. Yeah, there's a Starbucks yeah. in every small town. If there's one so, thing the common people do not care about, it's coffee. Yeah, every, everyone has had coffee. We can buy literally every store. Ugh. So yeah, they, they're kind of like fake working class vernacular stuff happens a lot in this country and, and yours. But oh yeah, also, yeah, at least, least y'all is objectively a useful word. Yeah, it's, like, it's a non-gender mass you. That's that one. That one has function. Yeah, mm-hmm. because we don't. For some reason, in English, we don't have a plural you. Every <laughs> language has one. We don't. <laughs> We're like, nah, fuck that. That shit's that's that's bullshit. Yeah, we're the special language. <laughs> we're the default language for humans. Um, default so, well, language doesn't need certain technological uh, advances that every other language has. I'm, I'm salty about this. <laughs> y'all is good. Like I, I sometimes, <laughs> I sometimes say y'all, but because um, I'm appropriating y'all. Uh, and... British people are allowed to say it, no problem, because it's very funny when you it is. say American <laughs> English words. It's like you realize that uh, we should have won the Revolutionary War and are like trying to get back in our good graces. It's justice, <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, Will, one, one last book that uh, made Red Bait and always or, or or made you personally. Okay. Um, so, still definitely more me personally. Um, we had initially talked about discussing at some length uh, Andre Gore's critique of economic reason, um, which is a pretty dry book, especially compared to some of what you uh, y'all have been reading recently, uh, the space mining epic that you did last week in particular. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, but, I, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that... Uh... Uh, this is it's uh, good partly because it's dry. The the critique of economic reason is it's actually a good ver. Uh, actually, uh, we were talking about that before before the show, um, Gareth and I. That it's uh, it's it's almost uneventful to comment on because it's just front to back good. It's the good version of the bad books we've been reading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's I think it's a lot of the foundational idea that some of that stuff is based on, like the Bastani stuff definitely references some of what he's talking about. Um, I think you mentioned, uh, what is it? Inventing the future of the Cernic and Williams yeah. um, thing. That seems hugely influenced by this book. Um, but really what it's about is he does, uh, I think, a very Marxian thing, which is to start from the, the premise that work as we know it just sucks absolute shit. Um, and works backward a little bit to try to figure out why. And then uh, once he's kind of established that, works forward to figure out how we can do a lot less of it. Um, So he dwells on um, kind of the extension of Marx's stuff about division of labor. Um, And basically the idea, Gors' idea, is um, that division, and especially as it has incorporated and evolved uh, alongside technology um is pretty much irreparable at this point we're not going to ever be able to go back to like a a guild system where people are directly associated with their work with the product of their work 
um, and that we should just do something else instead, which what he thinks we should do is um, harness the technology and the the division of labor, the economic rationalization is what it um, and also guarantee that everybody in society um, should have a, this is not the way this phrase is normally used, especially in America, uh, but sh should have a right to work. Um, so that if everyone is working, if we are working at the maximum kind of rationally efficient way, uh, everyone would have to work much, much less. Um, he, where he differs from, uh, I think Cernick and Williams in particular is that Gore's actually does not go so far as to, uh, I think, try to or want to end work entirely. He definitely has a thing about, um, that's, that's how you participate in society. If, if you have these duties, that's also what grants you rights as a citizen. Um, I definitely am in favor of abolishing work entirely. Um, I'm all for the fully automated luxury communism, um, where I can just post and play guitar all day. Um, <laughs> and I think Gore is a super influential on that idea, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, it did come out in like the 80s, right? So 87, I believe. Yeah. So some of this stuff wasn't as the, the technology wasn't quite there yet. Like uh, some like some of the automation technology nowadays is kind of crazy and scary and it could like end jobs within our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, yeah, I guess, you know, being in that time point, it, it kind of reminded me when you talk about it of um, David Graeber's bullshit jobs. Which is another one that's come up on this. On we've done oh, on yeah. this show before, and it's definitely some parallels. Yeah, it's, so it's probably like a kind of a text to a bunch of stuff that that we've talked about on this show. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I got I'm literally touching inventing the future now because um, I <laughs> bought that eight, ages ago. And um, so yeah, have you read it? Yeah, and it's okay. I I'm sure I, I I like I've read it when it came out like. Four, three or four, maybe five years ago. So I maybe if I went back to it now, some of the stuff, some of the stuff in it about um, that's not related to like full automation stuff, uh, that it's about um, what they call folk politics, mm -hmm. reminds me a lot of the kind of current discourse on like, um, you see some from some people on the left who get called like class only socialists, um, who like, consider things like i know trans rights and uh people of color and stuff to be kind of like an, almost like an impediment to a socialist society where those things are going to just disappear right uh, yeah exactly yeah, that yikes. <laughs> yeah the, the the kind of amy therese and um is one person who gets rightly dragged for being like a class reductionist and yeah it, it's a very weird um, kind of thing, and, and our stupid poll on on um, Reddit is very up big on this kind of idea. Mm. And um, yeah, it's kind of people who kind of would have been on 4chan but ended up just joining a different club when the first year of university. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it. So I I'm kind of dreading going back into that book just in case I find out it just like class reductionist and they're saying 
just shut up about all this like you know people getting shot and stuff and people getting beaten up on buses and we'll just like the robots will take care of us and then stuff will just figure itself out i don't remember a lot of that in there but it's been a very long time well yeah i i, I remember thinking at the time like okay this is a pretty solid critique of like folk politics as they as they call it but maybe that was just as built naive and i needed to uh have those few years so it could it maybe going back it'll be a good book still but um yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna finish critique of economic reason i didn't get i didn't finish it because of reasons we mentioned which is my brain has been reduced to slurry by twitter mm-hmm. and um but i i'm gonna force myself through it because i i think it, i think it will have some some insights in there for me some gold and, and it really um, deserves a, a a proper episode where we finally get to tell people a book about politics that they can read without feeling either guilty or insane. Yeah, and it's from Verso. Yeah, that's from Verso. So first, and Verso are good folk. We need to like redress the balance. So yeah, we're we're in fifty fifty for good and bad Verso books right now. <laughs> I, I can I can view the bad books we've read from Verso as uh, the uh, cashing the paycheck books. We all got to cash that paycheck sometime. We all it's it's a it's a job. We got to support ourselves. I don't begrudge them. I'm certain the Socialist Manifesto moved units. It sucks, but yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah there, there was like a whole stand on that. Like I I work just by the the biggest bookstore in the north of England, and there was a, like a whole stand of socialist manifesto and it looked like that, people but so that bankrolls a bunch of other books you know water under the bridge that's that's just how publishing industry works yeah wh- right. one one um what's called 50 shades of gray is probably still paying for great books to come out so yeah that's how the software like, uh, made that's they need to put all that money into a new <laughs> even better translation of Romance of the Three Kingdoms, the only novel that matters. Yeah. It's the only novel that has Guan Yu in it. <laughs> that's, that's literally true. I, I can't <laughs> fault that logic. Yeah. How can any other book claim to have Guan Yu in it when only Romance of the Three Kingdoms has Guan Yu? QED. It's, it's, it's like a diamond bullet of insight right into my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> so, we... Folks at home, read, read those books. They're all good. Um, I haven't read, obviously, Wretched of the Earth, but I'm, I'm sure it is good. It, it, uh, it's, it's brilliant. It's a foundational text for a reason. Exactly. I've, heard, I've heard enough good things about it. Like, I'm fairly confident in, um, in recommending it. But, and also, listen to Redbait. They're fucking good. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like first time I heard um, We Refuse, and it was the, the like... Uh, we refused (laughs) that's the one that that's the one yeah and that was like that was like hearing um uh fucking killing a name for the first time when i was like seven or whatever wow such a a, like cool hook that feels generous but thank you (laughs) no it's fucking i mean admittedly looking back killing a name is not that good a song until the very end but (laughs) like yeah it yeah, but um, but the end is very good. So you know, you know, it's 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 got like a hell of a good like hook to it on that song, and it's really yeah, really really great so- songs. So and the new stuff is really great too, and 
obviously topical as fuck and you know coming from a really good place politically which you don't get to say very much about bands nowadays so yeah folks at home do go out and get cages um and we're gonna end with one of the songs off the album so uh will you can you can pick you can show showcase whichever song you like off your record yeah let's do bread for the knife cool yeah because i'm gonna go eat a veggie burger after this so it seems appropriate almost. perfect so yeah folks come back next week uh i don't know what we're going to be doing so it's going to be a surprise for me as well as you uh but follow us on patreon because we're going to be recording a, a show fairly soon for our patrons and it's going to be a good one about cyberpunk and kazuo shigeru so you'd love to see it and um yeah come back next week for a mystery episode we, we do i'm really scared that i won't get something done in time uh and listen to yeah bread from life by red bait here they are <laughs>